All right, so just a couple quick thoughts for you. Um, <clears throat> obviously, we have been over the last couple of last three weeks, and I told you at the start of that <clears throat> that what we were doing was three sermons on the person of Christ and then three sermons on the work of Christ. <laughs> and preachers are always liars. So, we're not far off. We did intend to do that. It's like Paul when he tells the Corinthians, was I vacillating when I said I was going to come to you? Uh, we did intend to do three and three, but the first one of this concept of the work of Christ, as I began to work through it, there's just, I mean, it was either you pick. We add one or I preach for two hours, and I felt like it'd be better to just add one. So, uh, here's where we're at. We've, we've, we did the, th the three messages on the person of Christ. Now about the work of Christ, just some introduction so you know where this sermon came from. We wanted to bring you something in regards to the reality of Christ bringing in the reality of a new covenant for his people as part of his work. That's what he's done. He's brought in a new covenant. And in doing so, he has done something in fulfillment of the scriptures. And so I, I began honestly going down a road for this sermon that uh, I probably have been working on this at least about two weeks. And I started going down a road with it that I got a couple days in and I thought, man, I am, I'm on the wrong track and I had to switch some things up. So this is intended to be part of the broader scheme that we've been following, the person and work of Christ. But really the next two messages, I think, could somewhat be also their own sort of set of messages, its own sort of mini-series, if you will, and... Basically, here is what we're looking at. This message is entitled this, Jesus and the Law. How did Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? So my intention over the next two weeks is to show you in part what Jesus has done in bringing a new covenant and also what that has done for you as a Christian in relation to the old covenant. So, this is going to be this is going to be an interesting sermon because for some of you this will seem very heavy doctrinally. I mean, we're going to spend 45 minutes in one verse. Uh, so it's going to seem very extensive to some of you. Um, and I understand that. I recognize that some of you being new to the faith have not been able to take in all of this over years, this is going to seem like an excessive amount of information on one particular topic. But what I would say is a couple things. One is there are also others in here that also need to see some of these realities. And this, I want to be a resource for you in the future. Maybe five, ten years down the road, as you begin to see some of these realities, you can go back and you can listen to these sermons and find them maybe more useful to you then than they would be now. But it's going to be that way. It's going to be very heavy on that. So just as a forewarning, 
for you. I, I'm going to do my best to make sure that I'm keeping you all attent to what's happening, but it is going to be pretty heavy in that direction. So let's begin here. Obviously, in my title, I'm saying that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 5, particularly that statement is verse 17, but I'm going to read for us 17 through 20, and we are actually going to deal mostly for the most of our time in verse 17, but we'll also deal with the rest of those verses near towards the end. So let's read this. 17 through 20, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Brethren, this is an extraordinarily difficult text. It is. It may, not, it may not seem like it on the surface. Maybe even some of you who have studied things before, maybe someone's told you what this verse means. But I will tell you right now, I have spent years, 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 years studying the Bible, reading the Gospels, reading Matthew, reading these verses, I've spent the last two weeks burying my head in these verses. These are difficult verses. And there's been no shortage over the course of church history, interpretation after interpretation. You can read 10 commentaries and come out with 12 interpretations. A lot of people think different things about what this verse means. So here's the crux of the issue. Obviously, since I'm asking you that question, the real crux of the issue is, what does fulfill mean? What does it mean when Jesus says that he came to fulfill them? Obviously, he's saying, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So that, that's the main issue that I think people look at. But here's the thing. I don't think that that is the main interpretive issue of the text. It certainly is one. We will look at it. But I don't think that is the primary point that we need to deal with in regards to interpretation. I think what typically happens is people come to this text and their first concern is to say, fulfill, fulfill, fulfill. What does Jesus mean when he says fulfill? And they pass over what I think is the more primary interpretive issue for the secondary one. And when they do this, I think it causes their interpretation immediately at the start to skew off from where Jesus intends us to be. So it seems to me the first interpretive task that we need to do is actually define what does Jesus mean by law and the prophets, or law or the prophets, as he puts it, obviously, in the negative form. Because after all, it is the law and the prophets that Jesus says, I came to fulfill. It's both of them. 
He came to fulfill both of them and to fulfill both of them in the same way. So once we define law and prophets, I think the text becomes much more easier for us to deal with, especially even the word fulfill and how Jesus fulfills them. So let's look at these words. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So again, just lay aside for a minute the question of abolish and fulfill. Jesus' construction of law and prophets, or law or prophets, is critical and purposeful. Purposeful by Jesus and purposeful by Matthew to put it that way in Matthew's gospel. The text, that phrase, is all over the New Testament. And a lot of places in Matthew, before Matthew 5 and after Matthew chapter 5. But in all of these places, brethren... It does not mean the Old Testament commandments. It never means that. The the phrase law or the prophets means all of the Old Testament scriptures. It is the way of the New Testament writers putting all of the scriptures into two simple categories. There's also another area where you get three categories Law, uh, law, prophets, and the writings. But for the majority of the time, the New Testament writers are using the phrase law and prophets to indicate all of what we might call the Old Testament. Everything from Genesis to, in our English Bibles, Malachi. So it, that's what, it, that's what it, is, it is intending to mean. And this is pivotal because if we get this wrong, our interpretation becomes wrong. People typically come to this passage, and the first question on their mind is, what does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law? The law. How does Jesus fulfill the law? What does the law have to do with anything? And they just, they point at that one particular point. And I think in doing this, they are misinterpreting what Jesus is actually intending to say. Brethren, don't forget, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. There's a reason why he says it that way. I don't think Jesus in this text is, as we often tend to be often in interpretation, so laser focused on the question of law, but rather the question of what does Jesus have to do in fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures, everything that was back there. Hence the phrase law and the prophets. Now, I don't want you to just take my word on that. Obviously, you could, because I'm not lying about that, but I want you to see it for your own eyes in a number of passages. Listen to this, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Paul's in the process laying out the gospel to the Romans, and he wants them to recognize that the Righteousness, the salvation that we now have in Christ, did not come as part of the law, although it was prophesied there. Here's what he says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So quite clearly, obviously, Paul's reference is to all of the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets. They bore witness to the one that would come and bring the righteousness for his people. For uh, John chapter 1, verse 45, Jesus is, shows up on the scene. He's calling his disciples, and we get this. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, 
We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So again, this is a reference to all of the Old Testament, everything that was there. They're saying the Messiah was promised in all of the law and the prophets, and here he comes. He's on the scene. This is him. You get it in Acts 24, 14. Paul is making his defense before the governor Felix, and he says this, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Once again, brethren, these are references referencing all of the Old Testament. Paul is saying, I believe all that was there. In fact, that's all Paul had. I mean, you had obviously at the time, the New Testament is coming into reality as they're writing it. But here, Paul's reference is, I believe all that was laid down previously, all of God's revelation. The point is, these people are bringing accusation. I believe God's revelation. And in fact, that revelation pointed forward to the Messiah. So the phrase has specific meaning. So then if Jesus is referencing the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures, when he says law or the prophets, and I think he is meaning that, you go through Matthew, you will not find an example of something other than that. Every time you see it, you see Matthew says something like, and this happened, and therefore Jesus fulfilled. You see him talking about the son coming out of Egypt, and here comes Jesus coming out. And he says this was done to fulfill the scriptures. That's how he's using the word, right? So in, in all, of the, all of Matthew, you see it, Law and Prophets, it's all a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. And so if Jesus is using it that way, I think the best way to understand this phrase is not so focused as we might think, but much broader. The focus is not on Old Covenant law commandments, but on all of the Old Testament scriptures. And so what I'm going to do then is actually use those interchangeably because I want you to see the connection. When Jesus says law and the prophets, that's what he means. So as we move forward, I'm going to use Old Testament scriptures and law and the prophets interchangeably. That's how the scripture is using them through the New Testament. Because I want you to see it so that you can properly interpret the passage. So then we come to the next issue. And again, I don't think the next issue is necessarily the question of fulfill, but actually what is said at the start of verse 17. You see it there. Jesus gives us or offers a clarification. But the question obviously has to be, why is he doing that? Why does Jesus find it necessary to say I have not come to abolish the Old Testament scriptures or the law and the prophets. Why is it necessary for Jesus to say that? Well, I would argue this. If you look at the example of Jesus' life and his teaching, which is about to follow in the following verses, verse 21, all the way until the end of the sermon, brethren, Things were happening in Jesus' life and in his teaching that were radical to those around him. Absolutely radical to those around him. In regards to his teaching, after this brief section, his explanation here, 
in verse 17 through 20. He is about to proceed by quoting sections of the Old Covenant law, the Mosaic law. And he is going to say to them, you have heard it said, quotation, but I say to you, there is something big happening in what Jesus is saying. And it would certainly seem as though those who are hearing these things would say that Jesus is throwing out the Old Testament scriptures along with everything that's in there. It's commandments, everything. Useless, invalid, irrelevant for you. You can just throw out the old part of your Bible. Just get rid of it. It's of no use to you anymore. It could seem like that. But of course, Jesus doesn't believe that. He assures us that God's revelation does not lose its authority, that God's revelation does not pass away. Indeed, it cannot pass away. And in regards to his life, what he did, his day-in, day-out action, living, brethren, his ministry was in quite reality filled with things that would have shocked the Jews. They would have. You get all kinds of instances. Luke chapter 5 and in other places, he's touching lepers. Listen, you go back into Leviticus chapter 5 and you will see a reality there that if you touch something unclean, you will, by the touching of the unclean thing, incur guilt and sin. And Jesus does it and remains sinless. Jesus does things that to these people would have said, that's sin, you can't do that. You need to go offer a sacrifice. And Jesus offers no sacrifice. He doesn't do it. You see him in Matthew chapter 15. He attempts to teach his disciples that the food laws are not what made you clean or unclean. But it was what was in the heart. That was the matter. Brethren, he is declaring to his disciples that they can eat something that was against the law for them to eat. Recognize the weightiness of what he is doing. You get more information about it in Mark chapter 7. I don't have time to read all of these verses, but you can go read them if you want. There Mark says that Jesus said what he said, declaring all foods clean. Brethren, take note of this. The dietary restrictions in the Old Covenant, they were not suggestions. It was God's law. You had to do it. It was given at Mount Sinai, along with the Ten Commandments and every other commandment. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, nope, you can eat it. No wonder. I mean, in the text, you know what happens in Matthew 15? Jesus' disciples come and they say, Jesus, the Pharisees are offended. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Jesus is saying they don't have to keep that old covenant law. It was law, brethren. It was law. No wonder the Pharisees were offended. No doubt Jesus' disciples would have been offended. And we see it all the way into the book of Acts. What's, what's Peter doing when the sheep comes down with the unclean things? Jesus told him a long time ago he could eat it. And he's still wrestling with it. There are all kinds of examples, all kinds of examples. Again, I, I just, I can't deal with all of them, but they're there. The things Jesus did that would have been radical to those around him. So in light of all of that, Jesus' 
action, the things he was doing, and his teaching, especially which was about to come after, it is understandable why Jesus says this. He says, no, I have not come to abolish the Old Testament scriptures. I have not come so that they would be irrelevant for you. Although the Jews could have easily gotten the impression that that was the case from his life and his teaching, he reiterates it to us with clarity. He doesn't want anybody to think what, what, what could potentially come up. The Old Testament is not devoid of its usefulness and value to those who are now in Christ's kingdom in the new covenant. In fact, I will argue this, that instead they find their complete usefulness, their complete value and meaning and fulfillment in Him. Now, obviously, this brings us back to the question at hand, doesn't it? <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, I get that. You say they find their fulfillment in Him. What does that mean? So let's deal with this. We obviously can say that we know that Jesus did not intend to abolish the Old Testament Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets. What does he mean when he says that he came to fulfill them? Now, I want to deal primarily with two interpretations that I think are very problematic. I don't think they fit the text. I think they are also the two most popular interpretations. So we'll deal with those, and then we will examine what I think is being said in this passage. So some want to say, that the word fulfill, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. They want to say that fulfill means to keep. That is to say that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to keep it and obey it in our place. And here's the problem with that. The reference to prophets becomes totally obsolete. This is act like it's not even there. Jesus just came to keep the law in your place. Well, what about prophets? Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Prophets becomes just totally out of focus. The focus is turned off of law and prophets to what did Jesus do in regards to the law? I don't think that's what's happening here. There's something far more glorious in this passage. And the other problem would be this. That does not even fit the context of what the sermon is about. This sermon, brethren, is not about Jesus's life and his righteousness on your behalf. It is about your righteousness and what he expects of you and I in the new covenant. Hey, look at verse 20. He says it down there. Unless your righteousness, he's not saying my righteousness as in himself. He's not even talking about his righteousness. He's talking about your righteousness, brethren. So to interpret this at the start of all of it, to say Jesus fulfills the law by doing it, misses the point of the sermon entirely. It's not about his righteousness. It's about yours and what he's calling his people to do as they come into his kingdom, part of his covenant. The other one is this. Some say that what is meant by fulfill the law and the prophets is that Jesus intends, and this is a little bit more nuanced, so just track with me for a second, that Jesus intends to bring the law to its fullness by providing what the true intent would be 
of everything that was in the law commandments. They'll look at what comes after. You get these phrases you have heard, but I say to you, and they'll say, well, Jesus is just fixing misconceptions, problems that these people had in interpretation of the law. Again, the first problem is this. It completely disregards Jesus saying that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. It is a laser beam focus on the word law. And there's a necessity for us to see why he says law and prophets. Listen, if we want to interpret it that Jesus came to fix misconceptions with the law, then you have to say that Jesus came to fix misconceptions with the prophets. The interpretation does not fit, brethren. It doesn't fit. It makes no sense in Jesus' framework. But there's even a bigger problem, I think, which is that even if that interpretation was to be accepted, let's just all just accept it for a minute. You come into some major problems. Jesus says things like, You have heard it said, You shall not swear falsely, but keep your oaths. But I say to you, don't take them at all. Brethren, that is hardly... If we're going to look at it honestly, if we're just going to look at the text honestly, you can hardly say that what is happening there is a showing of the true intent. It's just not. This is radical transformation of law. Radical transformation of law. Even you look at Jesus' comments in regards to things like murder and adultery. Brethren, they display, they're not bad laws. It's not as though God telling them don't murder is some bad thing. But brethren, it is such a low degree of righteousness in Christ's kingdom. It's, he's bringing in, brethren, a higher law for his people. A righteousness that far surpasses anything that could actually be legislated or enforced under the old covenant. Listen, brethren, I know some of you have probably heard this before, but I'm just going to tell you straight up. Do, don't be angry is not the true intent of don't murder. It's just simply not. You go into the old covenant, you find specific commandments. And they're specific for a reason. Israel was a physical nation, not a spiritual one. The laws for that nation had to be laws that you could actually enforce and punish. Not only that, it was a nation filled with unregenerate people. For the most part, at least. So when we look here, what we see, you look... Uh, uh, when Jesus says things like that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, he actually means that in this new covenant, this new degree of righteousness that you are under, that your righteousness will actually exceed theirs. The law is higher. It will surpass that. The Pharisees, no doubt, would have thought, God gave us His law. And His law tells us, don't murder. So they, kept, they wanted to keep that. I keep that, I don't murder, I'm clean. But what does Jesus do? He comes along and He says, but I say to you, but I say to you, my people will live by a greater law. Not only will they not murder, but they will not have anger in their heart. Brethren, I will submit to you, I find it to be far too simplistic 
of what Jesus is doing in these passages to simply say that he is fixing misunderstandings of old covenant law. He is taking us, brethren, far beyond, far beyond any expectation of righteousness under the Old Testament. Indeed, brethren, it is a different one. Under the new covenant, you have a law that far surpasses that of the old covenant, and you are held to it. Don't think for a second that you come into the new covenant and, oh, you can go live however you want. Jesus says, your righteousness better exceed theirs. They had the, did they not have the commandments? They did have the commandments. And Jesus says, it's going to far exceed all of that. I want to make one more brief point before we actually go into what I think is being said here. In, in both of these interpretations, and pretty much most interpretations, People are often trying to define what law Jesus is referencing. What law did he come to fulfill? Furthermore, in verse 19, what law is he saying we need to keep? Is it all of it? Is it just portions of it? Again, this, these are interpretations where right out of the gate, brethren, they're, they're off to the side. They're just asking the question of law, and they miss the whole point entirely. But nevertheless, the point is this. Typically, they'll look at that question of what law is Jesus referencing, and they're going to say it's either the Ten Commandments or whatever law they think is abiding, if it's more than the Ten. But the problem is this. Jesus makes no distinction within those commandments. In fact, he makes it quite clear in verse 19 down to the least, least commandment. It's all-encompassing, brethren. Everything that is in the law, all of the law, from the greatest commandment to the least. Listen, you lay aside for a second, again, this question of fulfill. Whatever, in regards to law, whatever law is being referenced, especially in verse 19, is not limited to some smaller scope of the law within the law. He is referencing all of it, right down to the least commandment. He says, if you don't keep all of it, every single commandment, you start pulling out some of those, you're doing damage to the text. So we'll come back to that in a minute. But let's ask this question. What is actually meant? When Jesus says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we know that it does not mean that Jesus came to keep the old covenant law in your place. It does not mean that he came to correct misunderstandings of the old covenant law. Here's what I think Jesus means when he says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Again, I told you this. You look back in Matthew, before this and after this, you get this this word fulfill. And here's what it always means. It is a reference to the thing. I know these are not super scientific terms, but this is the easiest way I can put it for you. It is a reference to the thing which all the other things pointed toward. You tracking with me on that? In other words, in Jesus' coming and fulfilling of both the law and the prophets, he is first and foremost saying this, I have come to fulfill all of the Old Testament scriptures, that's his point. And he's saying that he is the thing, the final thing, which all of the other things in the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, pointed toward. Are you tracking with it? All of that pointed to him. 
He fulfills it because it all points to him. It's moving in a direction towards him. He tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me or speak about me. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets, because it is they, all of them, that foreshadowed him. They ultimately find their fulfillment in him. The law and the prophets were not the end, brethren, and they were never intended to be. Christ is the end. Christ is the fulfillment. Brethren, the law and the prophets were not sitting there saying, look at me, look at me, law, prophets, law, prophets. They're saying, look to him. It's all going to him. It's pointing forward. He's the end. He's the fulfillment. It was all foreshadowing him. And here's the problem that I think people generally have with this text. They want to separate them out. They want to separate out law and deal with that. They want to separate out prophets. And they don't want to deal with that. They just want to deal with the one and not the other. And we can typically understand what it means when we say, oh, Jesus fulfills the prophecies and the types and the shadows of the Old Testament. All these things, they're looking forward to him. We typically don't have issue with that. I mean, we heard about a bunch of them last week, right? Jesus is the greater priest and the greater prophet and the greater king. All these things are looking forward to Jesus. You get the prophecies in the Old Testament. He's going to be born of Bethlehem. Well, who fulfills that? Oh, Jesus fulfills that. Right? We got no problem with those. But we often leave out the fact that the New Testament says that the law had the same purpose. It was intended to point forward to Jesus. And listen, I want to deal with this briefly. Just because I want you to see how it fits into Jesus' scheme of things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because... Ultimately, this question of law and its role for the Christian is going to be mainly our focus for next week. That's, that's everything we're going to deal with next week. But I want to give you a little bit of taste of that because I think it's proper to understand what's happening here. So in the same way that the prophets did, the law also pointed forward to Jesus. It had a prophetic function. It was foreshadowing him. That's what its task was. All of the Old Testament scriptures did that. Jesus tells us this in Matthew eleven thirteen. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So not only the prophets prophesied, looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment. But the law too prophesied, looking forward to its ultimate fulfillment. And brethren, its ultimate fulfillment is none other than the one who is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Would it be something other than the one who says, I have come to fulfill all of the Old Testament scriptures, all of the law and the prophets? Well, what was the law pointing forward to? Certainly, brethren, it's pointing forward to the one who is the fulfillment of all things, namely Jesus Christ. And listen, I find him to be at least two. I could have tried to gone on with more than this, but I'll just give you these two. Two ways in which Jesus is the fulfillment of what we find back in the law. They're, they're in part distinct. They're not the same, 
but I want you to see how they're intricately connected, and I'll try to make that clear in this point. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the greater king, foreshadowed first by Adam and then later by others like David. We saw that he is the greater priest, again, foreshadowed first by Adam and later by Melchizedek and the Levites. We saw that he was the greater prophet, foreshadowed first again by Adam. Aaron's always bringing everything back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And, and then later into the rest of the prophets, brethren, I would, I would argue this. There is another that points forward to Jesus. The law was given by Moses. That was, that was Moses' main task. He's a prophet for the people. He gives them the law. Brethren, I would argue through this, that Jesus is the greater lawgiver. Moses pointed forward to him. Moses was the prophet which gave, I want you to catch this, Moses was the prophet which gave the covenant people their covenant stipulations. And Jesus comes in and fulfills all, brethren, it points to him. He comes in and he, he is the fulfillment of all of it. He is the greater law giver, which was foreshadowed by Moses, looking forward to him. Jesus is the greater prophet whose greater teaching lays out a greater covenant law for those in a greater covenant. It is all greater. It's all pointing forward to him. It's all the fulfillment found in Christ. So brethren, he's the greater lawgiver, foreshadowed by Moses, looking forward to him. And the other way that I find him to be the fulfillment, and this, in my opinion, is far more glorious, hence why I save it to last, not only, brethren, is Jesus the greater lawgiver, brethren, Jesus is himself the greater law. Brethren, all of the scriptures, all of them, point forward to Christ. All of the scriptures, that means everything that's there, including the Old Testament commandments, they point forward to Christ, brethren. And you may ask, how is it that Jesus can be both lawgiver and law? And I would say, look to the book of Hebrews. What does the writer to the Hebrews say that Jesus is both? He is both the priest, which comes and offers the sacrifice, and he is also himself the sacrifice. And you say, how is it possible? How does the priest offer himself? Listen. The author of the Hebrews makes it clear to us that that is something that happens in the person of Jesus Christ. And I would say this, brethren, that in the same way, Jesus is the greater lawgiver and he can be so because he is himself the perfect law. None other can be a perfect lawgiver than him. He gives himself, brethren, he gives himself as the example of what constitutes complete godliness and goodness and righteousness. I know it's odd to sort of think that way, that the law is not a list of rules, but a person. But I want you to consider this reality. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they were called to look to what? 
in regards to understanding what is good and righteous under the Old Covenant. That's the point. The law is given. You want to know what's good and right? You look to it. Brother, when we come to the New Testament, maybe I need to stop with these rhetorical questions. But what are we called to look to in the New Testament? Or rather, who are we called to look to in the New Testament? Of course he is. And obviously in the way I phrased in the last one, somewhat assumes the answer. But the point is this. The Bible tells us to look to a person, to look to Christ. You get it in a number of places. 1 John 2, you see him, he, he's intermingling these phrases. He talks about commandments, and then he likens that to walk as he walked. The, the point is the focus is upon Jesus Christ. To keep the commandments means you walk as he walked. He's the image. He is it now for his people. The focus is upon following Christ as the standard. And listen, brethren, I'm sorry, but the reality is this. There are a lot, and, and I, I heard it, I, I believed it for years. All, this, all the conversation in the reform camps about this idea of the third use of the law. People talk about it. The law takes you to Jesus, and Jesus takes you back to the law so that you would be sanctified. Brethren, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. The Bible says things like, Beholding the face of Christ, you are transformed from one glory to the next. It's looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Fix your eyes on the law. Fix your eyes on Jesus, brethren. Look to Him. We don't look to a list of laws. Jesus gives Himself as the example. He tells His disciples, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Listen, love is not some radically new concept. But what is radically new is himself as the example for his people. He is, in a very real sense, the law for his people. He is the standard. He is the reference point of how we ought to live. Listen. Those old bracelets, what would Jesus do? There's something biblical to that. You might think that's cliche, but there's something biblical to that. So by being the law for his people, he perfectly fulfills the law's function as it was for its people. Jesus fulfills it perfectly. It pointed forward to him. And this is, brethren, what we might call, and we'll get into this next week, but this is Christ's law, or the law of Christ, which again, as I said earlier, is not codified in some written code, but rather is exemplified in himself. Listen to me. The Mosaic law, all of it, just like the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, from the greatest commandment to the least, is but a sliver of what Christ would come and constitute as the rule of law for his people. It pointed forward to him. That law is not the fulfillment. Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of it. And you had all people in the, all through the early church, people recognized this. I thought to give you a bunch of them, but I'll give you just one. Ignatius, writing in the first century, 
To most of Ignatius' contemporaries was known to be a disciple of the Apostle John. He writes to the Romans and he says this, that the church is worthy of praise and honor and that they, he says, you are preeminent in love by observing the law of, what do you think he says? He doesn't say Moses. By observing the law of Christ, you are united in flesh and spirit to every one of his, Jesus's commandments. The point is him, brethren. The early church recognized this. They had come out of an old covenant and they entered into a new covenant and they now looked to Jesus Christ. So as Jesus continues, and we'll look at this more next week, but as Jesus continues on in the Sermon on the Mount and he begins to deal with issues of Old Covenant law, you have heard it said this, I say to you, he's dealing with these things. Brethren, we are not learning how Jesus and his teaching relate to the Old Covenant law and how they come under it and they just fit into its categories. What we are seeing, rather, is how the Old Covenant law is going to fit under the banner of Jesus Christ. How does it have anything to do now with Him who is its fulfillment? How does it relate to Christ? How does it now relate to you as you are in Christ? It's, it's, he's the focal point. So I won't belabor that point anymore. We're going to deal with that at length next week. But the gist of it is this. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament points to him. All of it. He fulfills the Old Testament prophecies and types and shadows and everything that's there by his person and his action. Brethren, in simple terms, again, he is the thing which all the other things pointed forward to. And he fulfills the law in the same way. He is the thing which all of that pointed forward to. It foreshadowed him. All of the Old Testament scriptures, brethren, all of them, whether law, prophecy, type, shadow, whatever you go back in that Old Testament and you find it is foreshadowing Jesus Christ. They find their fulfillment in him. So I want to deal with these next couple verses. Just as we will use them to help us sort of look forward to next week. As we examine the law's role in the life of the Christian. So when Jesus says this, he follows this glorious assertion. With a, with a needed proclamation. Of the continued authority of the Old Testament and its relevance to us. Just because Jesus fulfills it, that it all pointed to him, just because he fulfills it, doesn't mean that it just passes away as useless. And this is his point. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now listen, I already know what you're thinking. Because I think it can be very confusing. If we did not have what came before it, this passage could be confusing. But since we do have what came before it, 
think the idea is we need to follow the train of thought. The word law here ought to have the same basic meaning as the law and the prophets. It is terrible, terrible hermeneutics or biblical interpretation to throw some different definition on that word. There's not even any reason to change it. And beyond that, there are all sorts of places in the New Testament where the word law, just the word law, is used to reference different places all over the Old Testament, and many of which do not even actually have a reference to any Old Testament commandment as we might think of it. So let me give you one example. John chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says that he will be lifted up. He's referencing his crucifixion. And the crowd says this. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? So you see it, right? They claim that we know that the, the Messiah, the Son of Man, he's gonna, the Christ is going to live forever. And where do they say their claim comes from? They say it comes from the law. Now they could be referencing a number of places. Psalm 89, Ezekiel 36, Isaiah chapter 9, none of which is a commandment. So the point is, they're using the word law in a very general sense to reference all of the Old Testament scriptures, or at least just many different places in the Old Testament scriptures. And I think what Jesus is doing is basically the same thing. Jesus is saying is that even though that he did come in fulfillment of all the scriptures, not even what we might consider to be the most insignificant part of those scriptures would now become insignificant to them until, you see the point, he, he says, not any of it's going to pass away until all is accomplished. You see, even in the last bit of that phrase, you get this indication of this fulfillment principle that we've been dealing with. Something needs to be accomplished. All of the Old Testament scriptures are pointing forward. And Jesus says, none of it will become void until all of it is accomplished. And there is still much to be accomplished, is there not? The kingdom expanding, nations coming in, righteousness filling the earth, resurrection, judgment, and so on. But, brethren, as the law prophesied, the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament Scriptures, as they prophesied things that were going to happen, brethren, we await their happening. We await their accomplishment. And we don't downplay in that time even the littlest bit of the Old Testament. We hold that the Old Testament Scriptures are valid for God's people. We don't scrap the Old Testament just because, God, just because Jesus comes in and fulfills it. In fact, we recognize now its true importance, its true usefulness, and its true validity more now than we ever did now that we see its fulfillment in Christ. So then, these last two verses, 19 and 20. 
These verses are going to deal with how we, what, what ought we to do with the actual commandments in the Old Testament? That's a good question, right? Because in light of Jesus being the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets, they all pointed forward to him, and nothing of God's revelation is going to pass away. What do we do now with the actual commandments in the Old Testament? I mean, if Jesus is the fulfillment, you have, the, you have all this stuff over here, law and the prophets, Jesus is the fulfillment, it all pointed forward to him. What do we do then with some of that? I mean, there's all these commandments in here, but if they pointed forward to him, how do we then relate to what's there, especially in light of the fact that Jesus says, none of it's going away, right? He says, this is fulfilled over here, but hold on, none of it's going away. So we ask the question, well, how do we, what do we do with them then? There's these commandments over here. Do we keep them? Do we not keep them? Are they still important? Do we drop them? Do we keep them as it says? Do we keep them in a different way? Do we keep all of them? Do we just keep some of them? Two things. I think Jesus sort of deals with these questions that we might have in two ways. First, in verse 19, he asserts that every one of the commandments down within the Old Testament must be kept. Every single one. Every single commandment that is there. Rather than to limit this to some sort of scope of the law within the law, is just not being faithful to the text not being faithful to the least of these commandments statement. Two, in verse 20, he dramatically raises the bar. And we looked at this earlier to some degree. But he is telling these people, even the old covenant law will not be sufficient for you, for my people, in my kingdom, in my covenant. His people will surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. His people, his people's righteousness will surpass the righteousness of the people that had those commandments. He says, not one of them passes away. You keep all of them, but that's not even sufficient for my people. Isaiah talks about God's people being oaks of righteousness. And those brethren are the people in the new covenant. So the point is this. The entirety of the law and the prophets all of the Old Testament scriptures are not scrapped by Jesus' coming, but rather they are shown their fulfillment. They point to Him. They find their fulfillment in Him. And therefore, all of the Old Testament commandments that are found in those Old Testament scriptures find their fulfillment in Him. They come and they funnel through Him. He's the final piece. And He tells us, even down to the least of them, you will keep so the question for us then, and this is where we're going to have to table it until next week. The question for us then is, what's the nature of our keeping those laws? Because quite clearly, there's been some kind of, some kind of effect has taken place on the nature of how we keep them. If they've all find their fulfillment in Jesus, we need to... We need to see how that works itself out. And so we'll look at that next week. But I will close with this. I want to call your attention to one last text. Turn with me to Genesis 49. 
I told Aaron about this. Uh, I, I didn't tell him what I was going to look at because I knew he was going to be. Uh... This is this is an Aaron thing. I'm typically not good at this kind of thing that I'm about to do. But I think he'll find this very encouraging, and I hope that you do too. We read earlier, before the sermon, that text in Isaiah 33, verse 22. It said that the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver. The word that's translated lawgiver is the Hebrew word chakak. And the word denotes this ruler who has the sole authority to give decree and law. So when we look at Genesis 49, I want you to see something interesting. You get these prophecies. Jacob is blessing his sons. And particularly, let's look here. Look with me starting in verse 8. This is the prophecy to Judah. He says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now listen. In, I mean, the whole thing is a prophecy of Judah, but you get, you get within that this prophecy of the coming Messiah. This idea in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. There's this idea that a ruler is going to come from Judah. And no, no doubt, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. Therefore, he can rightly be the king. But I want you to see something. You see something else that says will not depart. Ruler staff. You go back into the Hebrew, you will find that it's the same word. Same Hebrew word that means lawgiver. And I want you to hear this from another translation. <clears throat> the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet or from his offspring until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Brethren, there is a promise embedded here that Jesus Christ will not only come and be king, he will come and give law to his people. He will be the lawgiver. And it will be to him, a person, that the obedience will come. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The Messiah, brethren, is what all of the law and the prophets were pointing forward to. They were all looking forward to Christ. All of it was. He is the lawgiver for his people, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Next week, we will ask that question then. What is Christ's law? He's the lawgiver, brethren. He is the law. Well, what is it? And how does it relate to that old covenant one? 
which was pointing forward to Christ. He is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. And yet he says to us, you're going to keep it. How does all that work, brethren? We'll examine that next week. Let's pray.